Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are. It's good to be here to look into God's word. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. I pray that you will guide my words, that they will be pleasing to you, and that they will be a blessing to all the saints and all the people that are listening. Your word is food, your word is life, your word is light, and your word brings hope. I pray that all that and more will be the portion of everyone that listens to your word today. I just ask that you will guide me and direct me and help me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, it's a strange times we live in. Uh, I'm preaching to mostly empty auditorium right now, except I know you are watching online, that you'll be blessed. We just finished singing Christmas um, songs, mostly, which means it's Christmas time, or very close to Christmas time. And so I'm going to give a message today, not Christmas uh, line, but mostly Christmas. So the title of the message is Freedom from Fear. We live in the time of unprecedented fear uh, driven by Corona, coronavirus. I'm sure you've heard Corona before. You've probably seen news items on Corona and the devastation that it has caused. And so there's unprecedented fear. But to the believer, I want to give you a few words from the scripture before I go into my main message. Matthew chapter 1. Here we find Joseph thinking about the fact that Mary is pregnant. He doesn't know anything about it and he doesn't know what to do. So the angel spoke to him while he was sleeping in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel spoke to Joseph and said, do not be afraid. Christmas season. I flip over to Luke chapter 1. And here we find an old man who was a priest, very faithful, kept God's instructions. He and his wife were very, very faithful. But they had one problem. They didn't have a child. And an angel showed up on the scene. Verse 13. Or verse 12. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Spoke to Joseph, said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. The future is great. Spoke to Zachariah, said, don't be afraid, for your prayer is heard. I'm sure you've been praying about Corona, and God is hearing your prayer. So don't be afraid. And then we go to the same Luke chapter 1, Verse 29, here we find a young lady who was uh, thinking of a bright future, about to get married, thinking of probably dreaming of all the good things to come, and suddenly an angel showed up. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of great things this was. Verse 30, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That can be said of all Christians. 
if you are a child of God, you have found favor with God. So there's no reason to be afraid, even though we have a corona and all the other things. And two more along those lines. In chapter 2 of Luke, again, here we find shepherds. And they were doing their normal job, looking after their sheep, just uh, going along on verse 10. Then the angel showed up, of verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. You get the picture? Shepherds afraid, Mary afraid, Joseph afraid, Zachariah afraid. Fear. But the angel had simple one message. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Father we have, the Savior, is a reason not to be afraid born to us, saved us, and so there's no reason to be afraid. And finally, we see an old man in Revelation chapter 1, very old. And uh, he's been driven to an island on his own because uh, he spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ. His life is uh, uh, the old days, so to speak, and he's on his way home to heaven. And then the Lord Jesus showed up. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. This is the message for all of us. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. It's a universal message to every believer. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus said. I am the first and the last. It is true. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. We are believers, children of God. Now, you might think that was the message that I had. Not really. It was just the Lord laid that in my heart for you to take those scriptures to heart. Own them. Speak them to yourself. As you travel the road of life during the corona times, you have to remind yourself, I am a child of God. The Lord Jesus, my Savior, is alive forevermore, and he holds the key to death. So there's nothing to be afraid of. All right. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning again, and I just ask you guide me as I look into your word that we will be blessed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Freedom from fear. Um, It's a common thing that uh, at this particular point in history, most people are afraid, and rightfully so. But I I want to share with you scripture. Uh, My message is going to be from Romans chapter 8, from verse 31 to 39. Romans chapter 8 from verse 31 to 39. The last time I spoke was on Thanksgiving, if you remember, and I spoke on the believer's freedom in Christ. Uh, It was a survey, if you like, of some sort of Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 to 39. I noted that there were four freedoms that the believer has in Christ. Four freedoms. So let's quickly review them. The first one is freedom from judgment. Romans chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ died for us and we have his righteousness. So there's no judgment for the believer. So no condemnation. Freedom from judgment. The second freedom that I mentioned was freedom from defeat. It's not necessary for the believer to live in sin. You are not obligated to live in sin. Why? Because the Lord Jesus lives in us through his spirit. He has given us the spirit that enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we read in verse 5, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but to live after the spirit. So freedom from defeat. And then the third one that I mentioned was freedom from discouragement. Romans 8, verse 18. Not necessary for the believer to be frustrated. No frustration. Why? Because the Lord Jesus is coming for us. We have his glory. The future is bright for the child of God. And Paul writes in Romans, said, For I reckon that the suffering of the present time. He understood that there is suffering, there is hardship, there are difficulties in the present time. But he says, I reckon that the sufferings of the present time cannot be compared to the glory. Comparing two things, suffering and glory, and saying there's no comparison. So, we have the, the glory of God, and so we should be free from discouragement, no frustration. And the last point I made that there was freedom from fear. No separation. It says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? It said, nothing. Why? Because Christ lives and intercedes for us we cannot be separated from his love. So that was the message and uh, went about it, you know, trying to at least uh, share that, those thoughts with you the last time. So, but today I want to zoom in on the last uh, one, freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. There are five points that I want to make. And a good message, according to my friend David Mark, needs to have three points. So mine is five. So that means I have to split this into two so that I can have three points today. So we'll make the first three points today, and then we will make the other two points uh, next time. Freedom from fear, part one. Fear of the past, fear of the present, Fear of the future, fear of circumstances, fear of others, and fear of ourselves. Regardless of what the fear is, we have freedom. So let's read together from the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, from verse 31. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is he who died? Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. 
we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not need to fear the past, the present, or future because we as believers are secured in the love of Christ. There's no separation because we experience the love of God. Paul presents five arguments to prove that there could be no separation between the believer and the Lord. Five compelling arguments. The first one, God is for us. Verse 31, Paul asks, what shall we say to these things? Then the question we need to ask is, what things? The things written in the earlier chapter, from Romans chapter 1, chapter 8. 8 from verse 1 to 30. Sorry, in the earlier verses. Those are the things. So when you read through those things, the only thing we can say is that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 8. That God is for us. He's talking specifically to the believers. We the believers, those that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is for us. I notice in Romans chapter 8 verse 26, the Holy Spirit is for us. He is praying for us, interceding for us. And in verse 32 he says, God the Father is for us. He delivered up his son for us. And I also notice that in verse 34, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is making intercession for us. He's praying for us. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together and individually are for us. They are for us. Now, I want you to think about this. God's relationship to me, to you as a believer, can be in one of three levels. It can be against me, or to anybody for that matter. It can be against me, or it can be unconcerned about me. And, or it can be for me. Those are the only three levels. Either it's against me, or it's unconcerned about me, or it's for me. It's, I cannot conceive of God being against me. I'm one of his children. I cannot conceive of God ignoring me. I'm the child of his love. So he will not ignore me. I can only conceive of God, my heavenly father, saying this is my son and I'm for him. So this is the conclusion that Paul draws from everything he says in the first 30 verses of Romans chapter 8. It's a wonderful chapter. Go back and read it if you have not read it before. Master it and just absorb it. There is no condemnation in verse 1. Why? Because God is for us. The Holy Spirit lives within us to give us victory. Why? Because God is for us. And we do not have to worry about circumstances and suffering. Why? Because God is for us. He's preparing a glorious place for us. And then you get down to verse 26 or verse 28. I'm sure that many believers are familiar with verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. It's probably one of the favorite 
of believers. Verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. So Paul gets down today and then he says this. And we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. He says, we know. In fact, it reads in the New Living Translation this way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God is causing everything to work together for good for us. If God is working all things together for us, then he cannot be against us. He's for us. In fact, God has determined that we should share his glory. Now this is where I want us, I want to emphasize this fact. And that's why I need to read this. Romans chapter 8 from verse 28 to 30. We are very familiar with verse 28, but 29 and 30 have wonderful things to say. If God is for us, he can't be against us. So I read it shortly, but we need to enter it there realizing that God is for us. There's no need to fear. So let's read Romans 8 from verse 28. I'm living, reading from the New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything. Causes everything. I suspect that includes the time we are in. It seems like a fearful time. But God causes everything to work together for good. That's what it says. Now listen to this, verse 29. For God knew in ad- his people in advance. That will be you and that will be me. If you are a child of God, you have been known by God in advance. He knows you in advance. And it also says this. And he chose them to become like his son. So God must have chosen you. Not only that, so that his son will be the first one among many brothers and sisters. Notice verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, did you notice that all of that is past tense? God the Father called them, it says, or knew his people. He chose them to become like his son. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God cannot be against you. He cannot be against you. He has to be for you. That is why he chose you. That is why he called you. That is why he gave you right standing with himself. And that is why he gave you his glory. I'm sure when you, are, you feel achy, you feel fearful, you don't feel glorious. But as far as God is concerned, you have the glory of God already. You have a right standing with God already, and you are one of his. So what can we then say to these things? God is for us, and God is working everything together for us. So there is no need, there is no need for us to be afraid. There is no need for the believer to be afraid in the midst of corona or whatever it is. A loving father desires only the best for his children, even if we must go through trials sometimes. We have the promise in Jeremiah chapter 
29 verse 11, it says, For I know the plan that I have for you, declared the Lord. Plan for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. The future is bright for the believer because God is for us. No need to fear. I know it's... Um, With all the news, if you just need to amplify your fear, all you need to do is to click the TV stations. And it's very easy nowadays because you carry it in your pocket everywhere you go. So I will advise, rather than click the TV stations, click Romans chapter 8. Read the New Living Translation, read the NIV, read the New American Standard, read the uh, NKJ, read it over and over again. When you are tired of reading, play it and listen to it. Absorb it and meditate on it and ponder on it. I can assure you, when you read it and think about this, uh, the wonderful thoughts that God has for me, the wonderful plan and the wonderful provisions he has made for me, your perspective will change. And fear will disappear. So that's why Paul said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I want to emphasize, God is for us. And if I make it very personal, God is for me. For my family, for the people in our assembly, for my extended family, those that know the Lord, God is for us. It's not working against us. Is working for us. So argument number two. Freedom from fear. That's the title. Christ died for us. This seems so, so, so plain. It seems so familiar that somebody would say, so what? We know that. And so we take it for granted. Christ died for us. We read in verse 21, He that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now here is the argument that Paul is making. How shall he not together with him also freely give us all things? Now, I want you to see the logic of what Paul is saying. And in, Paul is making an argument here from the greater to the smaller, in this sense. You know, if you read the scripture, sometimes Paul will argue or make his argument from the uh, lower things or the lesser things to the greater things. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he makes this type of argument sometimes as well. For example, he would say something like this. He looked at the people that were around him, and then he said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Then goes on for everyone that asks, receive, and all of that. Then he added this phrase. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father in heaven. So we, being the evil ones, the, you know, the lesser one, we know how to give good gifts. God is the greater one. How much more will he give? And then on other occasions, he will say, if God so clothed the flowers of the field, which today is no more, will he not clothe you? Will he not look after you? In other words, these are mundane things that are trampled upon, yet God looks after them. You are of greater worth. God will look after you. And so, on other occasions, we say something like, you know, the sparrows. Very small, very tiny, very insignificant, yet your heavenly Father looks after them. You are of greater value. In other words, from the lesser to the greater. But here Paul is making the argument. If God did not spare his son. I want you to think about that. The Lord Jesus 
is the best gift that God ever had. There is no better gift to give than the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet God did not spare him, but delivered him up for us. He gave us his best gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. He ensured that he died on the cross for us. He said, how much more? How much more? And notice he says, how much more together with him? Together with him. So when the believer puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gets the best gift that God has ever given. Not only does he get the best gift that ever was and ever will be, the gift comes with a blessing. Because now that the Lord Jesus is with you, together, together, he says, he will freely, without price, without money, give you all things. That will include peace and joy and strength and pardon. So he's making the point that the Lord God gave his best gift, the greatest gift that he has ever had, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you conceive of God giving his son for us and then abandoning us? Can you think of a situation where he will give us the best that he has and then he ignores us and then causes us to live by ourselves? I cannot think of that kind of situation. God did this. Notice. Not when we were friends, but when we were enemies. When God gave the Lord Jesus Christ, we were enemies of God. In fact, we read that this morning in Romans chapter 5. We read that. Paul said, again, one of those logics. You know, he says, For if when you were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So that's a beautiful argument. He's saying when you were enemy, God gave you salvation, gave you the best gift. Now he will look after you. God has given us his very best. He will give us all that we need to have successful life. So every blessing we get is a package. It comes with Jesus Christ. Freely, freely. So when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive everything we need to live victorious, productive, and successful Christian life. So we don't need to fear. God has given us his best. There is nothing to fear, and there is nothing to worry about. Well, you may say, sometimes I sin and offend God. Well, then he will freely give you his forgiveness. You say, sometimes I stumble and I'm fearful then he will freely give you courage. You just need to look to him and trust him. God gave us his best. He will give us everything else that we need. So we need not fear because God is for us. That's the first point. And we don't need to be afraid because the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. God will give us courage in these times. He will give us strength will give us help that we need to face the circumstances that we are facing. He that did not spare his son, but deliver him up for us, how shall he not, together with him, freely give us all things? He cares for the birds. He cares for the sheep. That's God. And even cares for the lilies. Surely he will care for us. We are of more value than any of those. So, we need to trust God and we don't need to live in fear. God is for us. Christ died for us. And then, argument number three, God has justified us.
what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare his son but delivered him for us, how shall he not together with him freely give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God the justifier? Now, can anyone ever come to us and say, you ought to suffer, you ought to be punished after the Lord has saved you? No man can do that. Or can anyone ever come to us and say, you are condemned? No one should be able to do that or can do that. So maybe it's important that we probably remind ourselves of this uh, big word, justification. Because it's always good to go back to ponder on this because to be justified is a, it's something else. It's simply the gracious act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. God declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, I am not aware of any person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ out of his own righteousness because all have sinned. We are all sinners. But the believing sinner is declared righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, let's use the Sunday school term or language, which means just as if I had never sinned. Get this. Get this. This is important. When you were saved, God did not simply just forgive you. He forgave you. There's no question about that. And if all, if that is all salvation is, then the next time you sin, you are in trouble because you will lose it. If that's all it is, it simply means the next time you sin, you will need to get back to be saved. Because, you know, the forgiveness that was given is past. Now it's a new forgiveness. So every time you sin, you need to, you lose your salvation. Then you get back on track, ask God for forgiveness. So God didn't just simply forgive you. He forgave you, there's no doubt about that. And God didn't just simply pardon you. Pardon means you are guilty, but we let you off. If that's the case, the next time you break the law, you ought to go back to jail. God justified you. There's a difference. What does this mean? God took your record and he wrote across your record sinless in Jesus Christ or righteous in Jesus Christ. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God performed a spiritual transaction that will never change. He took all of your guilt and all of your debt and all of your sin and laid it on Jesus Christ that took place at Calvary. And he took all of his righteousness and put it to your account when you trusted him. And that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read these words, for he made him that knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, sometimes we have the idea that when we trusted Jesus Christ, all of our past sins are forgiven, and from now on it's up to us. Going forward, he's taking care of the past, so going forward it's up to us. That's not what the Bible says. Justification does not mean that God forgave your past sins and says, Okay, from now on, be good. And that's the only way we have relationship. It means God declares that you are righteous in Jesus Christ, and that will not change. Now, I want you to know this as well. It's possible 
to be more sanctified than other believers. There are Christians who are sweeter, uh, easy to live with. They have better witness. They live a holier life. There are Christians like that. So it's possible to be more sanctified than other believers. But it's not possible to be more justified than other believers. All of us are equally justified in the sight of God. That's important because sometimes, you know, we look at ourselves and say, oh, he ought not to be a Christian because he's not uh, as sanctified as I am, if that's, if that's the way you think. It's possible that you have to agree that some Christians are holier, they, you know, they are better witnesses than others. So they are more sanctified because they are growing. But you cannot be more justified than other believers. Justification is equal. The same for all believers. God declare you righteous in Jesus Christ. Now who is going to accuse you? Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? I'm sure Satan would like to do that. And it's a good time to turn to some scripture and read. Just, uh, I think I have it here. Let's see if I can find it. Zechariah chapter 3. Because it gives us a good picture of justification. Joshua the high priest. So in Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah the prophet had a vision, and in the vision, God showed him Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of God. Chapter 3. Satan was also standing at his right hand. And Satan was making accusations against Joshua before the Lord. Let's read. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who had chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garment from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with a festive robe. Then... I said, let them put a clean turban on his head so that they put a clean turban on his head and clothe him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. So what is this all about? So Satan was making accusations against Joshua. And the, the high priest, that Joshua, was never supposed to wear dirty clothes. All was supposed to be always clean. And here we have the high priest Standing before the Lord in dirty clothes. You know why? The nation had sinned. So he was representing the nation at that time. And Satan was also there pointing to the dirty clothes saying, God, you are a holy God. You are a just God. Condemn him. Condemn him. Condemn him. This is what Satan does every time we fall short. He's the accuser of the brethren. And usually sometimes he finds some sense to help him. God, see how mad Ime was at those people? Condemn him! Condemn him! He's guilty. So the Lord looked at Satan and said, No. No. So, said, no, he's not condemned. And rebuked Satan on his behalf. So, and then he said to the angel that was standing, take away the filthy garment and clothe him with righteous garment. So, it's important to know that when we are justified, our filthy garment of sin is taken away and the righteousness of Christ is put on us. So the Lord 
sees us as righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when the accuser stands before the throne of God and points to our sins, saying, look at what they've done. Destroy them, destroy them, punish them. The Lord Jesus steps up to the plate and says, I am their advocate. Look at the wounds. I died for them. I died for that person. He's mine. So the Lord rebukes the old Satan, even the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Paul says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? His chosen ones. We stand before God and God says, take away the filthy garment. I will forgive them. Why? Because we are his chosen ones. So we have been justified. Now this doesn't mean that, uh, okay, I have been justified. So that means I can just live anyhow. No. Because God also chastises his children. If you choose to live in disobedience or continuous disobedience, the Lord, God also chastises his children. But he will not condemn his children because he has clothed them with the righteousness of Christ. We wear the righteousness of Christ. That means we are justified. When God declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ, that declaration never changes. A Christian experience might change from day to day, but our justification remains the same. Sometimes we may accuse ourselves because of what we've done. Others may even accuse us, but God will never take away the accusation and then condemn us because of that. Jesus has paid the price, and so we are justified. Nobody can condemn the believer. Satan can't. The fallen angels can't. No one can. There is no need to fear because we are justified. So the next time you are accused by Satan and say, see what you've done, you can tell him, who shall lay a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. No need to fear because we are God's children and he has justified us. Now, freedom from fear. Fear of circumstances, fear of people, fear of the future, fear of the present. I want you to remember this point. God is for us. Christ has died for us. Christ has justified us. While lying down on my bed yesterday, I said, there must be an illustration on justification. So I dug up one. And this is a true story. A Jewish soldier named Alfred Dreyfus showed such marked ability that in 1891 he was appointed to the general staff of the French army. So three years later he was arrested being charged with selling military information to Germany. His trial resulted in dismissal from the army, public degradation, and commitment to the French penal colony on Devil's Island. So they tried him, found him guilty, then put him in prison. Right? So due to popular demand, he was retried in 1899, but was again declared guilty. But because of public dissatisfaction with the result of the trial, the president of France pardoned him. So he was pardoned. But the friends of him were not satisfied with a mere pardon. And in 1906, a third trial was carried out and he was completely vindicated. He was given the more advanced rank of major and enrolled in the Legion of Honor. You see, when he was pardoned after the second trial, the penalty of the crime which he was accused of was remitted, was removed. 
He was taken from the prison. He came back to his family and friends. But the stigma of being a traitor still rested on him. But when he went through the third trial, became vindicated and was promoted to the rank of major and enrolled in the Legion of Honor, he was justified before the whole world. He had a perfect standing, righteous standing, and was given recognition that comes only to those who have served and brought honor to their country. That's exactly what God did when he justified the believer in Jesus Christ. We are a perfect standing before God. We ought not to fear. My prayer and desire for you is that you will say, God is for me. The Lord Jesus died for me. I am, have a perfect standing before God. So why should I fear? There's really no reason to fear. So freedom from fear. I still have two points. And uh, so this is just the, you know, the beginning to the other point. But I can't touch them because I didn't want to go three hours and then you tune me out. I wanted to make sure that you are still with me. The Lord has loved us and has given us the best. The best gift he ever had was his son and he's given to us. With him, he will freely give us all things. That includes strength, that includes courage, that includes victory, that includes everything we need to be successful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son. The best gift that you ever had, you gave him to us. And now we become your children. You are watching over us. We read this morning that um, you called us you gave us righteous standing and you gave us your glory. May we have this frame of mind and thought daily. May our mind be focused on the thought that you have towards us because those are the truth. That is the thing that we need to know. Help us to walk in victory and not in fear. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.